Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl. It's a lifestyle brand focused on ladies who love the great outdoors. Through the website and social media platforms, they offer a safe space where the ladies can share their pictures, stories, wild game, and fish recipes, and news articles about conservation and hunting perspectives. I've served as a pro staffer of theirs since September 2016. It's been two years, and I've learned it's a network of women who love fishing, hunting, and the outdoors in general. Women come from all sorts of backgrounds, experience levels, and regions throughout the United States, it's a welcoming environment, and should you choose to be involved, especially if you're a lady, you will really enjoy it. So be sure to check out Real Camo Girl at www.realcamogirl.com and follow them across social media. Welcome to Episode 9 of District of Conservation. We are moving quite far along in this process, so I appreciate you, every one of you for following along, subscribing, providing feedback, and just opining on interesting subjects related to conservation. I want conversations to be had with respect to this across fishing, hunting, and shooting sports. It's super crucial to do so, and I hope this podcast accomplishes that. If you have any questions, you can always message me. I'm happy to answer them in relation to federal or state laws and things happening in and around the Mid-Atlantic. So, That is my goal with the podcast, and I appreciate you all following along. Before I dip into important news that has emanated from Washington and elsewhere across the country, I wanted to briefly touch upon the Time Magazine issue that I had participated in, which is now out. You guys can find it online, in print, and elsewhere. If you're in certain select cities, there's a traveling mural coming your way. As of this recording, there will be a exhibition tonight at the Union Market in Washington, D.C. It's in Northeast Washington, D.C., there from 6 to 9 p.m., and I'm going to very much be there and try to converse with people and describe my experience if anyone has questions there. So I'm planning to be a part of that event for some time. But if you're curious to learn more about the project, I highly recommend you go check out time.com slash guns dash in dash America. And I can include that in the show notes. I won't expound much about what I discussed. You can find it all across social media, but I think this project is really well done and I'm very impressed with the final product. I've discussed it in great detail for the resurgent. I have a piece coming out in sporting classics, hopefully in the next few days on my thoughts on the experience and it's a conversation starter and a project that I think needs to be happened, especially in wake of that horrific shooting that took place at the tree of life synagogue in Pittsburgh. And it just leaves you speechless, uh, that people in America would do that. And I think all gun owners, myself included are very heart sick by any senseless acts like that. So I'm proud of the project. I'm proud to participate in it. And I hope you guys 
hear all the perspectives, even those with which you disagree. I disagree with people on the gun control side of it, but it was interesting to hear some of their stories too. And I definitely recommend you guys hearing our side of the issue very closely to such unique perspectives. And I applaud time for executing this and JR, the French artist who worked very diligently to get this out. So I wanted to first share some brief thoughts on that and check it out. The first conservation related news I wanted to discuss was the nomination of Aurelia Skipwood to become the new acting director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, replacing former director Greg Sheehan, who left the agency back in the summer. So on Monday, October 22nd, President Donald Trump had nominated Skipwith, who's the current assistant Deputy Assistant Secretary for Fish and Wildlife and Parks in the Department of Interior. So Ms. Skipworth already has experience working in the agency. And believe it or not, her nomination is drawing immense praise from conservation groups like Ducks Unlimited, of which I'm a member of. And interestingly enough, she would be the first African-American woman to hold this post. Some critics, unfortunately, have accused her of not having enough experience. Typical. But I think her credentials speak for themselves. Of course, the fact that she's worked in the department for at least a year and a half goes to show that she knows what the secretary is looking for, what agenda items he has in place, especially to expand fishing and hunting opportunities and preserving and advancing conservation policy. So get this, her illustrious academic background includes a BS, a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Howard University here in Washington, D.C., she has a master, master's of art degree, an MA, in molecular genetics from Purdue University, and she has a Juris Doctorate, or a JD, which is a law degree, from the University of Kentucky College of Law. And although she has been nominated, she still has to await Senate approval, and that's first going to start in one particular committee in the Senate, which is the... Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works, which is currently chaired by Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming, a Republican. And if she were to be approved in that full committee, uh, when it's brought to a full vote, it would then go on to a full Senate confirmation. And it should go through. Granted, there's no opposition, especially after the height of what we saw with the Supreme Court deliberation efforts over the now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who's pretty uh, respectful towards the Second Amendment. Not surprisingly, she has been opposed. Her nomination has been opposed by radical environmentalist groups. Not surprising. The Center for Biological Diversity, for example, put out a press release calling Skip the most unqualified director in agency history, lacking that she has experience with fisheries and wildlife. They say that other groups have said that she has possible conflicts of interest. That she worked for Monzado, which is that group that's kind of been in the news about uh, the the poisonings that has happened with that. And you cannot, I don't believe she was with Manzato when this incident happened. And even if she was, she can't be held to account, unfortunately, for the misgivings of the company. So to accuse her of partaking in what Manzato was doing, allegedly, would be a grave mistake. So again, I emphasize that this is an interesting nomination Secretary Zinke has put his stamp of approval on her, and here's what he said about her and why he's thrilled for the nomination. So Zinke is quoted as saying in a Department of Interior 
press release that for the past year and a half, while she served as deputy assistant secretary, I've come to know Aurelia Skipworth as a professional, a scientist, and a passionate conservationist. And I know that she will be an incredible director of the Fish and Wildlife Service, he said. She has helped lead some of my top priorities for getting more people to enjoy our public lands, like expanding access for fishing and hunting, recognizing urban national wildlife refuges, and designating sites on the African-American Civil Rights Network. I look forward to her speedy confirmation. And my goal would be to get Miss Skipwith onto the podcast. I'm going to do my best to do that. I also have the secretary on my radar to get him on as well. But I think uh, Miss Skipwith would be very, very compelling and interesting. And yes, I understand there's some concerns about her past work with Monsanto, but I don't think that's going to have an effect on her work with the Fish and Wildlife Service. So that's something to look forward to. And we'll keep track of the nomination and confirmation process there. Hopefully it's not going to be heated, but I think Aurelia Skipwith is going to be an interesting addition to that post. She's already currently serving in it. So I don't think there's going to be much of a deviation from her current work. A second bit of interesting news is the rise of hunting licenses that have been bought for the fall of 2018 so far. So again, kind of going off of what I talked about in the Fish and Wildlife Service, which has an agenda item to advance more access to hunting and fishing to curb the problem and remedy the problem of lackluster hunting licenses, purchases, and also lagging participation numbers for hunting. The Fish and Wildlife Service actually put out a new report saying that an estimated 15.6 million hunters will head to the field in 2018 this season, and they'll spend approximately $872 million on licenses, tags, and permits and stamps, including both resident and non-resident sales. And if you guys recall from a fall 2016 report prior to hunting season, then a report came out saying that hunting was on the verge of extinction with a drop of participation that was pretty alarming and that report indicated that there was about 11.6 million hunters which was a 2 million drop from the past report that came out in 2011 but i think this is a good indication these results and interestingly enough the two segments of participation increases have come from females who are taking up hunting and young adults, people 18 to 24. So participation is up with those two categories, which is not surprising. And not surprisingly enough, Texas leads the nation in the number of licensed sales, topping approximately 1 million licenses purchased for this hunting season alone. If you're interested in finding these full numbers, I can include the link, and I will include the link, to the Fish and Wildlife Service's National Hunting License Report that came out. A friend of mine who's in the conservation space urged me that this may not accurately reflect that, but that it is a good indication. So I want to emphasize the importance of that there. But on the surface, topically, it looks pretty good. It looks like efforts to curb the lagging participation numbers are being remedied. And I think the interior is, is very cognizant of that. So that should be applauded as well. Another thing that transpired last week is the fact that President Trump signed the pretty unanimously accepted Water Resources Development Act into law last Tuesday, October 23rd. And this is arguably one of the largest water infrastructure bills ever to pass with unanimous support in the House of Representatives, a 435 to zero vote and a 99 to one vote in the U.S. Senate. 
And essentially what this does is outline a set of national water projects, including the construction of the Everglades Agricultural Area Reservoir, the EAA Reservoir, uh, a reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee to help divert water, water south and ameliorate the problems that has that have been created by toxic algae blooms and red tide. Basically, this is the caveat of the law. It authorizes but doesn't allocate money for the feds to pay their half of the $1.6 billion EAA reservoir. Specifically, this bill authorizes key dredging programs, Everglades restoration projects, the use of new technologies to detect and prevent harmful algae blooms, outbreaks, projects to combat aquatic invasive species and streamline U.S. Army Corps of Engineers procedures. Moreover, it's important to note, the appropriation process could take a couple of years to get money rolling. So I'm not sure how immediate this will be, but it's certainly more streamlined than in years past. And friends in Florida have told me that this isn't the sole solution for the problem plaguing them, but this could be a very good first step to finally offsetting that issue with toxic algae blooms and red tide that has been plaguing the state and also killing off millions of different fish species. So I think that's encouraging news, and I'm glad the president signed that piece of legislation into law. And another thing that's more pertinent to Maryland and Virginia waterfowlers is per Delta waterfall. I'm going to read this to you guys. The Atlantic Flyway waterfowlers in the United States will have a reduced bag limit on geese and mallards during the 2019 through 2020 season. Essentially, the mallard limit will drop to two daily, only one of which may be a hen, while Canada goose seasons in the Atlantic population zones will just run 30 days with the restrictive harvest. Essentially, the Atlantic Flyway Council approved these regulations in September, and they were just formalized by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Regulations Committee on October 16th and 17th of this year. Moreover, it's important to note that Canada goose hunters in Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia face a limit of one bird daily, while the rest of the flyways Atlantic population zones will be permitted two daily. The move was largely spurred by poor Canada goose production numbers in spring 2018, plus a 30% decline among Atlantic population Canada's and the most recent breeding population survey. So that is from Delta Water Falls, uh, press release about this about amended limits bag limits for waterfowlers in maryland and virginia and canada goose hunters in delaware as well and so i'm going to take that into account because i've done waterfowl hunting in north carolina and i have a keen interest of doing it in both maryland and virginia so i'm going to take note of this and i hope you do too because it is very important that we abide by the laws even if they seem a little bit strenuous uh, especially in this case because it's conservation tied but Hopefully, if numbers approve, these can be amended and we can bag more in the future. But it's interesting to see that there's such a decline. I see Canada goose everywhere in the parks, nearby, all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting that there's a decline I wasn't aware. But that's something to keep in mind for all you waterfowlers here in the Mid-Atlantic. That was Episode 9 of District of Conservation. I hope you found that to be informative and cognizant of what is emanating from Washington and the Mid-Atlantic area. My goal with this podcast is to highlight a lot of stuff that has some overlap within my region and also with my proximity to the nation's capital. So I hope you found that to be informative. And if you have any questions, you can ask me, tweet me, Instagram message me, whatever, and I'll be sure to answer any questions or concerns you may have about certain updates and things of that sort. So if you want to support this podcast, I highly encourage you guys to subscribe to us across different platforms. 
find us on iTunes, Google Play, and other supporting platforms. We're also available on Anchor.fm. That's the easiest way to find us. And if you can and feel obligated, make sure you subscribe. You download each episode. If you're a new listener or someone interested in hearing all the past episodes, leave a comment, share our feeds across social media, like us and follow us on social media. And that'll do a good job of getting us out there to more individuals who are interested in hearing what's going on with respect to conservation from the nation's capital and in the surrounding areas. So I appreciate you guys following along on this episode. It was a little chalk heavy with policy and updates, but I think it was necessary to have. And again, thank you for supporting us and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way.